figured out. All right, we are going to have some fun tonight. We are going to have some fun. How do you explain election and free will? We're not talking about presidential elections either tonight. Okay. This topic, does anyone need a handout for tonight? Now, I, um, my secretary, I, gave, I thought I explained it a certain way, but my explanation wasn't quite. I was going to have it go straight down the page instead of sideways, but that's okay. You'll notice there are words that are highlighted in blue and different things. Those are highlighted there so you can see specific points of verses to help you as we go through here tonight. So that's to help you. How do you explain election and free will? There has not been a topic that's probably been more dividing among Christians as this topic of election and free will. This subject has fractured friendships. Churches have been split. And churches, and you think about this, Christians, it's messed up a lot of things along the way. And so as we look at this too often, the debate is between those who celebrate God's election or God's choosing and those who celebrate free will and they forget to glorify God in the midst of all of it. And we'll talk more about that as we go through tonight. Instead of creating more of a controversy tonight, I'm not a guy that likes to create controversy. I'm not that way. I'm a simple-minded man. That's Brian Pattison. I'm not very complex. I'm very simple. And I like to keep things simple. And that's the best way to do it. Some people like to complicate things. I like to keep it simple. I pray that my messages keep things simple and don't complicate things. Like tonight, I want to break this down and help you, but I don't want this to help you spiral out of control when it comes to this topic. I want you to understand as we go through here, when I first came to town and started pastoring, I knocked on someone's door. And this guy asked me the question at the door. He said, are you Calvinistic or Arminian? Armini what? And I'm like, John Calvin, that guy was a heretic. And so, no, I'm not a Calvinist. An Arminian, I don't even know what an Arminian is. So I told the guy, in all honesty, you know, some, it's okay to admit at times that you don't have all the answers to everything, Okay. Because sometimes we like to give answers when we don't have an answer, and that just makes us look really stupid. So the best thing is just be honest. Because I could have said, well, I'm Calvinistic, which I'm not. I could have said I'm Arminian, and I'm not. Say, well, where do you stand? You're going to find out here in a couple minutes, and why, as we go through the message tonight. But when you don't know something You don't have to look smart. The smartest people are the ones who are honest. Honesty is always the best way to go. Kids in the room, the best thing to learn in life is to be honest. The truth sets us free. Honesty is one of the best. It is one of the best things in all the world. And you are never more like Jesus when you're honest. When you have to lie and deceive, you are being like the devil at that time. Because there is no truth found in him. Yet when you are honest and you tell the truth, that's what Jesus does. He is the truth. So there's nothing better for a Christian to be known for telling the truth. So let that sink in. And that's not even part of the message tonight. As we look at this tonight, I want to give you a couple quotes and then we're going to dive in. 
A Greek professor told his seminary students this. He said, better to be at home with your Bible and not your theology than to be at home with your theology and not your Bible. I think that's a pretty good statement right there. This book is what matters in everything that we believe. It's not what some book someone writes about theology. It's not what John Calvin has to say or others have to say. It's what the book says. Talk more about this as we dive in tonight. Um, I love this quote here by Randy Alcorn. He said this, I try to allow God's word to surprise me and change my mind and modify my positions. I like to learn. If I come to God's word unguarded with my shields down, God uses it to grab me, take me where he wants me to go. If the Bible never changes your mind because you've already got everything figured out, you're missing the joy of discovery. And this is what you've got to remember at the end of the day. This book does not change. How many of you agree with me the Bible does not change? That means the Bible's always right. That means there will be times in your theology or your doctrine where you'll read this book and be like, it doesn't quite line up with what this book says. And you must be willing to change what you believe to line up with this book. My first few years of pastoring, I'm still growing, I'm learning a lot. I'm, not, I'm far from arrived, i got a long ways to go in this thing of being a pastor. I'm 10 years into it, and I still feel like a rookie. I feel like I'm learning things every day. But I'll tell you this, in the past 10 years, especially the first few years, there are some things that I was dogmatic about, that I preached heavily, looking back on it, I, and through the past several years, I look at the Word of God, and the Word of God was not dogmatic or going down the same line that I was. So being a preacher of the gospel and of this book, I had to change my thinking to line up with this book. And in the past, it's cost me some friendships with people. Some people I've been labeled even a compromiser. But I'd rather be true to this book. This is, at the end of the day, my ultimate goal in pastoring is not to please any of you. If I can please you along the way, I love to do that. I don't like anybody mad at me. But my number one goal is to please him. Which means I must hold to this book as true as I can. And so tonight as we look at this, I want you to think there are two main positions when it comes to election and free will. Calvinism and Arminianism. Arminianism, what they, Arminians believe that God in his sovereignty and grace chose salvation for people whom he foresees will believe in God. And that is, and when we look at that, read it one more time with me. Arminians believe that God in his sovereignty and grace chooses for salvation who he foresees will believe in Christ. We look at that and we say that sounds pretty good. A Calvinist believes that God in his sovereignty and grace chooses people for salvation without taking their response into account, saying God, and there are verses and we'll see why this gets confusing a little bit. And so when we look at Arminianism and Calvinism, there's a little chart there for you. And so that give you some of the differences there. Armin Arminianism. 
A sinner can do good and respond to God. God elects on the basis of foreseen faith. Christ died for all. Man can resist God. Believers may lose salvation. So in Arminianism, there are a few good points. But not all those points are true. Now let's look at Calvinism for a minute. Calvinism basically states that man is unable of himself to respond to God. Is that true? We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Can a dead man respond to God? Not on their own, no. But, we keep on going here, it says under Calvinism, God elects according to his good pleasure. So in other words, God chooses who he's going to save based on his foreknowledge. Is that true? No, it's not. Christ died for the elect. He died for the whole world, the scripture says. So irresistible election means that if God has chosen you to be saved and you're one of his elect, you cannot refuse it. We don't believe in that either. And then election can never lose, the elect can never lose salvation. We do believe in that. So when someone asks me, Pastor, are you Arminian or are you Calvinistic towards salvation? Are you ready? I'm neither. I believe the Bible. I'm a biblicist. There are good points on both sides of these. And there are bad points on both sides of these. And where men are wrong, we have to admit the wrong and go with what the Bible says. So when we look at this and it says sinners can do good and respond to God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We cannot do good. It's not in us. So God's, uh, God elects on basis of foreseen faith. And so that is true. God, because he knows everything, knows who's going to trust him. Christ died for all people. Isn't that what the Bible tells us? That's true. So number two and three are true. Number four, man can resist God. Is that possible? Can someone reject God? Yes. So point two, three, and four of Arminianism is true. Number five, of a believer may lose salvation. Is that true? No, I give unto them eternal life that they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Once you're saved, you're always saved. So if you have something with you, I'm going to go deeper to detail here in a few minutes. But if you want to know in Arminianism what is true, two through four are right. Number one and five are false. Calvinism, let's go there for a minute. Number one, man is unable of self to respond to God. That's true. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We cannot on our own come to God. We talked about faith and we talked about grace, right? How does a dead man have faith? He can't. It's a gift that God gives. So number one is true. Number two, God elects according to his good pleasure. What do you think about that one? God elects according to his good pleasure. I think that lines up with Ephesians chapter 1 pretty well. 
I would say Ephesians 1 and that go hand in hand. Number three, Christ died for the elect. So Christ only died for those he chose to save. False. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Not that he so loved a few people. So number three in Calvinism is false. And you'll hear with Calvinism, there are four-point Calvinists and five-point Calvinists. These are basically the five points right here. And so number four, irresistible election. That means that if God has chosen you to be saved, you cannot resist. You're going to do it because you don't have a choice in the matter. Number four is false. Man has a choice, and we'll talk about that tonight. And then number five, ele the elect can never lose salvation. That is true. Once you're saved, you're always saved. So looking at these lists, there are good things from both. But I'm not an Arminian, and I'm not a Calvinist. Because I don't line up with either one of these. You say, so how do you describe yourself? I'm a Biblicist. I go with the Bible. I'll help you out tonight. If a Baptist or Baptist doctrine ever coincides with the Bible, I will be a Bible believer before I'm a Baptist. That's the way it goes. God's word is number one and should always be that way. And so that gives you a little list of things here. And so as we look here tonight, I'm going to give you a simple explanation of what I believe and then I'm going to help you understand it tonight. Have I lost anybody so far? Are we still all here? Are we doing okay? All right, we're all here. I think this is great, and I think if our children, if some of you kids would pick up on some of these things now, as young kids, it would be great for you to have some of these Bible doctrines drilled into you right now. And if kids can play the sophisticated, sophisticated video games they do today, they could pay attention in church and get something from God and His Word on a Wednesday night. You know it's true. Because I can't even play all the games my kids can. We play Madden at home, and my kids, David beats me more than I beat him. I'm being honest. Right, David? Matthew, have you ever beat me? I think he has, but he was a computer. He didn't realize that, but that's okay. So, here's my, here's my response. God is supremely sovereign, and we are responsible for our response to him. Joe went to number one. We're not to number one yet, Joe, but that's okay. My thought is God is supremely sovereign. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And I am responsible for my response to God. That is my biblical stand on this topic. I love, and one of the great preachers of yesteryear, Charles Spurgeon, and he was a Baptist preacher, but in all honesty, he was pretty Calvinistic in some of his thoughts, which, is, which I would say there are some things that people might label me partially Calvinistic. I just told you several of the points I agree with, not all of them, but I love some of his quotes on the topic. So someone asked him over 100 years ago how he reconciled God's sovereignty and human responsibility. This was his response. I wouldn't try to. I've never reconciled friends. What does, it, what does that mean? Our responsibility and God's sovereignty work together. That's where I'm going with this tonight. 
We're going to start by taking 10 scriptures, and we're going to see how God is supremely sovereign. Then we're going to take 10 scriptures, and we're going to see our responsibility to respond to God. And then we will take 10 more scriptures and see how God's sovereignty and our responsibility work hand in hand. And that's the message tonight. Number one, God is supremely sovereign. Thanks for putting that up there early for us, Joe. Some people had a hard time with that word anyways. It took them a while to spell it, and so they got up there. God is supremely sovereign. When I say that, I want you to understand something. And as we look at this, the Bible speaks volumes about God choosing, God electing, God predestinating. The Bible talks about it. They are not words that we can look and say, God didn't predestinate us. It says he did. You cannot say that God did not choose us because it says he did. Just because it doesn't fit into your narrative, you can't just take the Bible and throw out verses. It's all there. And so as we look at this tonight, I want to help you out with this. And as we go through here, and uh, when talking about the topic of election, Spurgeon also said this, some be ready to say, why preach upon so profound a doctrine as election? His answer was, because it is in God's word, and whatever is in God's word is to be preached. I love that answer. First verse we'll look at, Matthew 24, verse 22. Talking about towards the end. And except those days should be shortened, there shall no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake. Those who have been chosen sake, those days shall be shortened. So for the saved sake, those days are going to be shortened. Now, I'm not going to give you a big background on all of this. This is talking about those who get saved during the tribulation time. That's what Matthew 24 is all about. And I can't go into all that, but we see the elect's sake right there. Second verse I want you to look at, John 6, 44. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. Do we need an explanation on this verse? You cannot come to Jesus Christ except the Father draw you in. That's election. That's what we're talking about right now. Acts 13, verse 48 and when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of God. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Whew, this is, they were ordained, they were destined to eternal life. That's Bible right there. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. We all love verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Look at this, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Pre God predetermined for us to be conformed to the image of his Son, that we might be firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. 
and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Nine times in verse 29 and 30, he, God, is doing something. Nine times. That's quite a bit. Verse 33 of the same chapter. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Do we see these words, elect, election, predestinated? Ephesians 1, verse 4 through 6. Look at this, it's right there. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, he's chosen us in him. Whew, these verses. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Look at this. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. He chose us. He predestinated us. Those are Calvinistic words right there. All right, let's keep on going. Ephesians 1, verse 11 and 12. In whom we have obtained an inheritance, look at this, being predestinated, preordained, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things, after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. A few more. Um, Colossians 3.12. Put on, therefore, as the elect, the chosen of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse number 4. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election, God's choosing of you, your election of God. And 2 Peter 1.10. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. In those ten verses I've given you tonight, you see the elect mentioned. You see that God draws us. We see that they were ordained to eternal life. We see they were predestined. We see they're called God's elect. He chose us. We're the chosen ones. We're elected. And so think about it this way. I love this quote. God is in charge of what happens. When it happens, how it happens, why it happens, and even what happens after it happens. This is all true of all events in every place from the beginning of time. He does this for our good and for his glory. At the end of the day, we believe that God is supremely sovereign, which means he knows everything. He did choose us he did predestine us according to his foreknowledge and we might get there in just a little bit so we saw number one that god is supremely sovereign number two our response to god is our responsibility i'm not going to call it free will i'm going to call it human responsibility 
if we did not have a choice in salvation or anything else, why in the world did God put a tree in the garden? He gave them a choice. Our response is our responsibility. Since sin has stained everything, including our wills and all these different things, I want you to understand something. The Old Testament, New Testament testify to the truth that we are accountable to God. And as we look at this, it's easy to find verses that highlight human responsibility in light of God's sovereignty. First verse, Joshua 24, 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. The choice, right? Joshua says, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose who you're going to serve this day. It's a choice. You see that? It's a response. Number two. 2 Samuel 24, 12. Go and say unto David, thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. This was the passage where, remember how David numbered the people when he wasn't supposed to? God said there are three punishments. You choose which one. You see how David had a choice. Let's keep on going. Ezekiel 18.32 For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. Turn yourselves. Wherefore, repent and live ye. Change your mind. Respond to what I'm saying. Matthew 11.28 if it's irresistible and you have no choice but to do what God tells you to do, why do you say, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, come, come. John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them, what did they do? They believed on his name. You see the responsibility there? There's a responsibility there. Number six. John 3, 3. Verily, verily, or Jesus, say, Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So how do you get saved? A man has to be born again. There's a decision that has to be made. John 3, 16 through 18. We know these verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He came for the whole world. We see this here. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So do you see? God came into this world, and there's a response that has to be made by you and me. You believe or you don't believe. That's your choice. All right, let's keep on going. John 7, verse 37 and 38. 
In the last days, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, he didn't say, I'm just going to give him to drink. No, he says, Let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You have to come to Christ. Our responsibility, or our respo- we have to respond. It's part of it. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. How are you saved? You have to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and thou shalt be saved. A human response has to be made for salvation. Next. Revelation 22, 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Whoever wants it can have it. It's not for the few chosen. It's for anybody who wants it. Whosoever will means anybody. So we see phrases here in these verses to choose, to turn, to come to Christ, receive him, believe him, be born again. Whosoever believes, come to me. If you confess with your mouth, come to me, take of the water of life freely. So what we see so far tonight is that God is supremely sovereign and knows all things. We see that. And we also see that we are responsible for our response to God. Number three, God's sovereignty and our responsibility work together. They work together. Now, before we look at these passages before us, as we start rounding things out, is everyone still with me? We're with me. Have I lost anybody? Anybody tired and want to go home? We have, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're going to get there. Michael's been awake this whole time. Proud of you. You look very tired before the service. And you've been awake the entire time, Michael. That's why we haven't played the guitar. That just keeps him awake at least halfway through the service till the preaching. So I think the blood flow and keeps him awake. I'm just giving you a hard time, Michael. I what is it? I tease your dad and then I tease you when your dad's not here. I don't know. It's got to be a Rosales thing. I don't know. And so... Before we get here and look at these verses, there are some things in the Bible that are difficult to fully understand. The incarnation of Christ, that's a difficult one. The Trinity I mentioned before. And you are going to grasp some of the truths, but you're never going to get all of it. I'm okay with not having all the answers to everything in the Bible. And as your pastor, let me help you tonight. You need to be okay with it. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. There are some things about God and how God works that we will never fully understand, but he's given us everything we need to obey him and he's revealed everything he wants us to know. 
You can be confident in that. When we can't figure something out, trust him, follow him, and believe him. As we get to this point, as we finish up here tonight, I think a great thought would be this. You cannot resolve God's sovereignty and our responsibility by denying one to the other. They're both important. They work together. Spurgeon again, and Spurgeon was so good with this stuff. He said this, If then I find taught in one place that everything is foreordained, that is true. And if I find in another place that man is responsible for all his actions, that is true. And it is my folly that leads me to imagine that two truths can ever contradict each other. I'm going to show you ten verses where you see the sovereignty of God working and the choices of man and the responsibility of man working together. Here we go. Number one, Genesis 50 and verse number 20. Joseph and his brothers. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. The, the choices of Joseph's brothers were not meant good, right? But God in his sovereignty used it for good. You see how they work together right here? Next one, number two. Exodus 7, verse number 3. This is one that people have a hard time with. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And people are like, well, if God gives people a choice, why would he harden Pharaoh's heart? Well, chapter 8, verse 15 says, but when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart. Something that's very interesting. God says ten times that he will harden Pharaoh's heart. And ten times the Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So how does that all work hand in hand? We have a free will, correct? I believe we have a free will. Pharaoh hardened his heart towards God and the people of Israel. And God just let it keep going. Pharaoh made the choice. God didn't make the choice for him. Some people might have a hard time accepting that, but that's what I see right there. Luke twenty-two, twenty-two, And truly, the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. God in his sovereignty knew that Jesus Christ would die on the cross, correct? But look at what it says. But woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. So the sovereignty of God knew that Jesus would die on the cross, but that man that is decided to betray him, woe to that man. It was a choice that Judas made. You see how they're working there? You see both hand in hand. Next, John 6, verse 37 through verse number 40. All that the Father giveth me will come to me, and whosoever comes to me I will never cast out. And this is the will of, of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that is given to me, but will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, and everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up 
on the last day. You see the beginning of there? It says how the Father, all that the Father gives me will come to me. You see God's sovereignty, and you see and believes in him. You see our responsibility, our response. They work hand in hand. Next, Acts 2, verse 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified the slain. So God in his foreknowledge and determinate counsel knew what would happen to Jesus Christ. And what Peter's saying right here is, and you have taken him and you made the choice to kill him. So you have both sides together mentioned here. Let's keep on going. Are we still with me? All right. Acts 3 verse 15. And killed the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead Whereof ye are witnesses. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. So we see the choice they made to kill him, and yet God foreordained it, and all the prophets said what would take place. You see how their God's sovereignty and responsibility go hand in hand. We're going to skip a couple to save a little bit of time so we can get through all of this. And you've got them there in your notes. I love this one, Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Look at what this says here. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Then we see, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we're supposed to, can you work out your own salvation? At the end of the day, no, you can't work your way through salvation. But there's a responsibility on our part. Who's the one who's doing the work in us? God. You can see it right there. He's sovereign over all, and there's a response from his people. 1 Peter 2, verse number 8. And uh, let's, just, let's skip that one. You can read that one later on. But this is what I conclude out of those verses. The Bible has no problem affirming both the election and the sovereignty of God and our responsibility. God predestines... And human choice are kind of a mystery, but they're not a contradiction. The Bible does not spend a lot of time trying to explain. It simply states the facts and expects us to accept what it says. Say, well, pastor, that's a cop-out. Why can't I could give you what men say? Because men have a lot to say on this topic. Let me be honest with you. I really don't think that John Calvin was that bad of a guy. I personally feel that he went too far trying to explain something he could not explain. And that's what led him wrong. And I don't feel the Arminian group, and I, it's a tough one. I could go down a long road with that one. But I believe they tried to answer something they didn't have a full answer from because the Bible doesn't give a full, complete answer for you. So quit trying to put God into a box that you want him to fill and let God be God and let him just be in control of everything and don't worry about it. 
say, well, that just basically means you don't have a complete answer. I just have what the Bible says, and that's where I stand. Got to be very careful. Now, as I close tonight, and I know we're just about out of time, but if you'll give me just a few last minutes here. Well, you're going to. I should even. <laughs> you're going to. This is like election right here. It's chosen all right for you, okay? You, and see, hey, it's election, and because you can just stand up and walk out the door if you want. I'm choosing to finish, and if you didn't want to stay, you could just go. So see, we're seeing how it all works together, right? But anyways, if I could tie really quick Romans chapter number 9, 10, and 11. We haven't gotten here on Sunday nights. We're going to get there. But Romans 9, 10, and 11 really hit this home and help us understand what we should be doing with this. So my concluding thoughts, they're very simple. And you already have them there in your outline. And you're like, well, what are your concluding thoughts? I already told you. Number one. God is supremely sovereign. He is. There's no ands, ifs, or buts. He is. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 9, verse 10 and 11. I'm going to read this for you. It says, And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. God knew before Rebecca ever had a child. God knew before Isaac was ever born that Isaac was the one that he was going to use. That's what it says right here. God's supremely sovereign. Now look down with me at verse number 15, that same passage. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. The book of Romans, what we see in these few verses right here is the fact that God is supremely sovereign. Hands down. That's what we see right here. Number two, we're responsible for our response to God. You go from Romans 9 to Romans chapter number 10. Romans 10, and we'll get there on Wednesday night, I mean on Sunday nights. But Romans 10 verse number 1 says, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Then you go down with me. And so in chapter number 10, there are two main thoughts given. The first one is, number one, confess Christ. Confess Christ. That's our, that's our responsibility or our, response, our responsibility to respond to him. It begins by confessing Christ. Verse number 9 and 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made of salvation. And verse 13 says that whosoever shall call, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see how we have to do something? So God is supremely sovereign. Chapter 9 goes into great detail about that. Chapter 10 lets us know our response, our, our responsibility for our response to God. We need to confess him, but then number 2 and we're running the finish line here. We need to go with the gospel. 
some Christians, and especially five-point Calvinists, say when it comes to God's divine election, that we don't need to be involved in evangelism because God will save whoever he wants to whenever he wants to, so I don't need to share the gospel with anyone. That's where a Calvinist stands. A Calvinist does not go soul winning. A Calvinist does not, and some four-point Calvinists do. I'll rephrase that for you. If you're a five-point Calvinist, you're not going to go soul winning. Because why should I do it? Because God has already chosen who's going to get saved and all of that anyways. But I want, it's so interesting. The, one of the first Baptist missionaries that ever went out, his name was William Carey. He appeared before a group of Baptist ministers to get their approval to become a missionary. And the chairman of the board stood up and said, Sit down, young man. When God is pleased to convert the heathen, he will do it without your aid or mine. He refused to be ordained by that group of people. And he became probably the father of the modern missionary movement. Because, yes, God is supremely sovereign. There's a choice that has to be made and a responsibility for people. And chapter 10, verse 14, goes a little deeper. How shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without the word preacher is messenger? How can someone hear it without a messenger? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You must share the gospel. How is someone going to hear it if you don't? And you say, well, God's preordained it that they're going to get saved. According to his foreknowledge. Think about it this way. God does not, God has chosen us, correct? The Bible said that. I'm going to try and just break this down just a little bit deeper for you, and then we're done here. God has chosen us. I was chosen in him before the foundation of the world. The Bible makes it clear in 1 Peter according to his foreknowledge. Since God knows all things, God knew the day that I would get saved. And he's chosen me. God used someone giving me the gospel so I could get saved. And so you can look all around, you can get all up in arms like people have for years upon years about this topic. But you've got to understand something. God is supremely sovereign. And you've got to understand something else, that we as the people of God, or people in general, we're responsible for our response to God. Adam and Eve in the garden, God's supremely sovereign, but they were responsible for the choices that they made in the garden that day. Let me just finish up with this. Romans 9 talks about God's sovereignty. Romans 10 talks about our responsibility. Romans chapter number 11 finishes with, which is the last thing for you, my final thought, turn your doctrine into doxology. Turn it into praise. Praise him 
for what he's done. Don't use these doctrines to beat each other up and to get all crazy. Take God's sovereignty and the responsibility he's given to us and praise him for it. And that's biblical. Because in chapter number 9 of Romans, we see God's sovereignty. Chapter 10, we see our responsibility and our response. Chapter 11, finishing it up, we see the last few verses. Oh, the depth of the richness, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed again unto him? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. So this is what we know. God is supremely sovereign. We have a responsibility in our response, and instead of fighting over it and bickering over it, you do need to have some things settled. I think I helped you tonight understand what parts of Arminianism is good and what parts of Calvinism are good. I think I helped you there. But at the end of the day, instead of bickering, and or I just got, I got to know more about God's sovereignty and how it works with this, with free will, and just praise Him for who He is. Because of Him, through Him, to Him, are all things. That's what, that's what His sovereignty is all about. That's what our response to him is all about. Everything is of him, through him, to him, everything. To him be glory forever.